Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, back to the Jason and John Show, live from the Leaders Credit Union Studios. Let Leaders Credit Union champion your financial story at leaderscu.com slash ESPN. 92.9 FM, ESPN. All right, we're back. Jason and John, Eddie Turner FM, ESPN. Rob Doster is the angel on the shoulder of the co-founders of Field of 68. And and and, and a great way to sort of gauge uh, Rob and, and, and Jeff Goodman is if I have a scheduled hosting gig with Field of 68, it's because Rob scheduled it. And if I don't, it's because Jeff vetoed it. So uh, I'm on tonight, which means uh, Rob won out, and Rob is kind enough to join us now. What's up, my man? What's going on, guys? How we doing? How's life? How's everything? The Tigers are 15 and two. Life's got to be pretty good down in Memphis if you are a uh, if you're a Tigers fan. It is great, um, and this Absolutely. is as relevant as they have been, as highly ranked as they have been this far into a season since John Calipari was on the sidelines. Um, and so I ask you, and, and I know that this is not something that you necessarily feel, um, but I feel it because obviously being based in Memphis, I'm a little more sensitive to it. Despite being a top 10 team, you look around, Lenardi's got him as a five seed. You know, the national sort of discussion on Memphis is kind of like, do I take them seriously? Yet here they are as a top 10 team. So, Rob, I'd ask you, why does there seem to be a little bit of a disconnect with what Memphis has achieved, where they are in the AP top 25 versus the discussion when it comes to them? So uh, I've been actually thinking about this a lot. And I think the reason why we are where we are with Memphis right now is because all the teams that they beat, when they beat them, it looked like a really good win. And it kind of put in our head, all right, look, this is what Memphis is doing. Okay, this is where they're winning. This is who they're beating. They're going on the road, and they're beating Missouri, who uh, does not look like they're going to be relevant at all in the SEC. They're going on neutral court and beating Michigan, who has completely tanked, and Arkansas, who looks like they're going to be a mess all year long. They're going on the road, and they're beating VCU in overtime, and VCU looks like they're going to be middle of the pack in the A-10. Um, Texas A&M on the road. Well, they're, what is it, one and three in the uh, in the SEC now. Clemson's fallen off a cliff. Virginia's fallen off a cliff. Um, even like the wins over SMU and at Tulsa and, and the, uh, the UTSA one, uh, those are closer than it should be 
against teams that it feels like Memphis probably should be rolling over. So my guess is that we kind of got this thought of how good Memphis is in our mind after seeing the way they played against teams that we expected to be really, really good this season. And then when you kind of look at how everything is shaken out, you know, the profile when you're just looking at like the net spreadsheet or what, uh, what the selection committee would be looking at um, when they're in the selection room on Selection Sunday, like it just doesn't have the same pop that it does when you kind of look at the names on a sheet of paper, if that makes sense. And that's, I think that's probably why we are where we are with Memphis right now. But I think the bottom line is this. You've got a 25-year-old, 60-year senior veteran point guard who has proven the ability to step up and make game-winning shots in multiple games on multiple uh, different occasions, right? You have a guy in David Jones who is as much of a bucket getter as you can find in college basketball and who is having an All-American caliber season. you got a whole bunch of length and athleticism everywhere on this roster. And I don't think that uh, Naquan Tomlin has quite, like, figured out how he fits into this team just yet. And he's still out there, like, producing, and, and they're still out there winning games. And uh, I think when you are in the American this year, at least this version of it, it's not like you're going to be running into Houston every single night, right? It's not like it's the Big 12. So they're going to win a whole bunch of games. They're probably going to end up heading into the NCAA tournament with like 28 to 30 wins. Um, they're probably going to end up being either the American regular season or the American tournament champions. I would guess probably the regular season champs at this point, unless uh, they, they do something really dumb against North Texas. And you're going to head into the tournament as like a four seed. And I think that's the kind of thing where when you look at Take UConn, for example, last year. And I'm not saying that Memphis last, uh, this year and UConn last year are the same kind of team, but UConn was a four-seed in the NCAA tournament because of some struggles that they had in the regular season, even though everyone kind of knew, like, yeah, you know what, this team's really good and they got a chance to really be able to make a run here. So um, if they end up in that 4-5 game, it is what it is. I just know I wouldn't want to be the one seed that ends up drawing them in the Sweet 16. How – Rob, do they, and I agree with what you said, especially with what's happened with their non-conference record. Do they have the look to you of a contender? Like, how would you compare this team with the experience and a lot of you know the the personnel that you just laid out to a, to a Kansas State team that made that run last year with all of those new guys? In terms of making the deep run, we know what you know what the metrics say and everything else. What do they look like to you in terms of uh, having that sort of personnel defensively, offensively? Well, I think what you need to be able to make a run is you need a guy who can kind of bail you out on a possession-by-possession possession basis, right? You need Javon. someone that you can give the ball to yep. and you can go yep. get a bucket, right? I think that, to me, that's Javon and that's David Jones. No question. You yep. need point guard play. You need a decision maker that's not going to do a lot of dumb stuff. And I think Javon Quinterly, earlier in his career, was a guy that probably did some dumb stuff. And I think at this point, he's now to the – like, he's basically a grizzled veteran, man. Like, he's as old as John Barton is at this point. And um, and I think that he has kind of reached the the place where you just trust him to be out there and make decisions. So those are the two things that you really need. Now, you combine that with the fact that they have a bunch of length and athleticism and they're switchable and they can guard and they can rebound and they're tough and they're old. And I don't think that any of those kids are going to kind of be like blinded by the moment, right? And I think that there's there's no reason they can't get to the second weekend. And what we saw last year with someone like a San Diego State or what we saw last year with someone like an FAU is that if you can get to that second weekend, then all bets are off. Who knows? And all you got to do is just win two games and you're in Phoenix well, and you're in the Final Four. And a lot of that comes down to what the draw is. A lot of it, like with FAU, comes down to, hey, you know what? Maybe the one seed in your bracket gets picked off early on. 
Um, all of, some of it is kind of like a dice roll and, and, and getting a little Absolutely. bit lucky. But all you can do is put yourself in a situation where you got a good team that can win and be successful against a lot of different kind of rosters. And as long as you do that and you got a good point guard and you got a bucket getter that can bail you out, I mean, that's really all you can ask for at this point. So um, I think you got to hope like Jaquan Walton can kind of figure it out a little bit more. I think you got to hope that Naquan Tomlin, uh, by the time you get to March, is playing like the guy we thought he was going to be coming into this season. But if all that happens, I mean, they got the pieces to be able to, to kind of figure it out when you get there. It's just, you know, do you make the shots when it counts and do you get the, the benefit of a good draw? How devastating is any loss? And I'm, I'm even going to include FAU in here with the way that they've sort of played lately. How devastating is any loss <clears throat> that Memphis would potentially take in the AAC? It sort of feels like, you know, they're already on that cusp of being a 4-5 or five without any of these happening yet. I mean, is it something where you go from being a top 10 team to, you know, potentially you're talked about as a six or a seven seed? I'm just trying to get a gauge for how how punitive an AAC loss is going to be. I mean, it, it kind of depends on what the loss is, right? If you lose at North Texas, I don't think anyone's going to. It might the public perception might be ooh that's a bad one right because there's a lot of dumb people that are voting in the AP poll that don't understand that North Texas is damn good and going on the road there you're Memphis is probably going to end up being an underdog in that game um, so I don't like that one probably won't hurt you too much if you lose at home to like Rice or yeah. Temple or someone like that it's a different conversation but also if you're losing at home to Rice or Temple you're probably not a top three or four seed in the NCAA tournament you know if that makes sense so. Um, I don't. I wouldn't be that worried. Like when it comes down to it, man, you guys know how this stuff ends up playing out. If you're if you're a six seed, if you're a five seed, sometimes it's better to be the six seed because then in the Sweet Sixteen you're looking at uh, potentially getting the number two seed in the bracket instead of the number one seed in the bracket. Um, maybe if you are the seven seed, uh, you end up getting the fifteen because the two seed got picked off. You know what I mean? Like you can never project further than that first game that you end up drawing um, in the tournament, and a lot of that stuff ends up being luck and. Um, but I, I will say that uh, I don't foresee too many losses coming uh, in this during the the through the American season, right? Like it just it feels like this Memphis team knows how to win close games, and I don't think that it's a fluke that they're doing things like going on the road and winning at VCU in overtime, right? I don't think it's a fluke that you're winning a close game against Clemson, that you are hitting game winners against Tulsa and SMU, that you're pulling out. Uh, an overtime game against UTSA. It just feels like they've kind of figured out how to be able to win in those crunch time moments. And I don't know. I think they're going to make a run here. I think they're going to head into the tournament with like 28 to 30 wins. I, I just don't see that many losses on the schedule. If they do that, Rob, because we haven't had a chance to, to ask you the, the question. I know it's been discussed. If they win those 28 to 30 games, and let's say, you know, you've won the AAC regular season and the tournament, is Penny Hardaway in those, coach of the year conversations i know that you know what's sort of happened in the non-conference in terms of the other teams hold up their end hasn't helped you but does the fact that you know you flip this roster basically it's just two guys in the sense that you know jay his son and malcolm dandridge are the only two that got you know decent minutes last year everybody else is new how much does that help him and would he be if they go 20 or 30 wins and they're a four seed as you suggested would he be in coach of the year conversation well, the the hard part with that is I feel like the national coach of the year is always like, who surprised us the most? Like, who did we think was going to suck and then ended up not sucking? And 
Right now, that's probably like Shaheen Holloway, someone like that in the Big East. That's probably um, like one of these guys that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit more. Like Memphis is Memphis. And the hard thing about winning coach of the year at any of these power programs is like there's always the expectation that you're going to be really good. So if you're not, uh, you know, if you're if you're not like a top 10 team at one of these power programs, if you're not the best program in the American as Memphis, then it's looked at as a disappointment, whereas uh, you should be lauding some of these guys for the job that they're doing to keep the program at that level. Like that's why I think right now, if I had to, to vote for coach of the year, it would be one of John Calipari or Dan Hurley. Um, and I mean, Cal just with the, no one's winning with freshmen anymore. And he's basically got four freshmen in his top six and he's out here uh, looking like he's going to have a chance to win the sec. And then Dan Hurley lost his three best players to the NBA. He hasn't had two the, the, his, his two draft picks healthy and he still has UConn rolling to the point that it's successful. Um, and they're number one in the country, but I don't think either of those guys would actually win the national coach of the year award. It's going to be somebody that's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more off the radar. Yeah, a little bit like more surprising. Like we didn't think that they were going to end up being good, but they ended up being really good, and they ended up putting together this kind of season where uh, nobody saw it coming. You know, like Hubert Davis is one that kind of strikes me as a guy that might have a chance to win National Coach of the Year because it's North Carolina, because everyone thought they were going to be outside the top twenty-five. Uh, someone like a great guard was coming. Like that's just how those those awards tend to go. Penny's in a great job. You guys know how I feel about Penny, man. He's been awesome. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with what you said though. I mean, it's gotta be like there's another there's another sort of level, fact, I feel the, like. The fact that, that he was picked second in the AAC and not first is not enough in this case in terms of coming from off the you know, we didn't expect this to Rob's point. They were still expected to be one of the top two teams in the AAC. That's what we're yeah, saying. It's, yeah, it's Memphis, man. Like he's gotta he's gotta like blow everybody out of the water and go like 18 and 0 and and yep. and win the coach of the year that's just that's how the coach of the year stuff goes it's, it's kind of frustrating but you know that's it is what it is i'll buy that yeah i'll buy that yep we're talking to rob Dosser. just said that penny is doing an underwhelming job this year at the <laughs> no, university no he did not he did not <laughs> <laughs> uh no look i i do want to hit some national stuff with you because uh, i happen to be tuned in to uh that yukon creighton game last night and it was it was Klingon's first game back in about a month. And, you know, again, we don't see this very often, right, in college basketball. We don't see repeat champions. And there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go before we we, we get there. But um, they are the number one team in the country. And I don't know, Rob. I just felt like watching them last night. And, again, it was a home game, and I get all that. But, like, they still, even even with all the pieces that they lost, Sonogo and, and Hawkins, Caravan and Klingon and – and and Newton and all the you know and the and the Camp Spencer kid they brought in like this UConn team feels just as uh, capable of winning a national championship as the last one, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's it, there are there are no flaws when I watch them. Yeah. So the biggest thing without Klingon was the defensive side of the floor, right? They they went from being a top ten team on Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency metric to like outside the top forty in four games without Klingon. If you use uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of BartTorvik.com, but he does like similar okay. Ken Palm kind of stuff. But you can break it down by like a specific part of the schedule. And if you look at when from when Klingon got hurt to before he came back, they were like one hundred and thirtieth in defensive efficiency over that like two and a half week stretch. And then you see last night with him back with the way they, they can kind of switch defenses, with the way that they can change their ball screen coverages, with just having the great wall of Bristol back there, being able to, to just be seven foot three and big and in the way at the rim, 
They give up 48 points to a team coached by Greg McDermott at home. From the 10-minute mark in the first half to the 10-minute mark in the second half was the one of the best defensive performances that I can remember seeing in terms of you know, their rotations and being locked in and being connected and making sure that everybody was uh, pressuring the ball and, you know, switching when you needed to. And, you know, they were hard-hedging ball screens when Samson Johnson was out there and they were playing drop when Donovan Klingon was out there. And those are two completely different ways to guard ball screens and completely different coverages. And they were able to make sure that all of their guys were, you know, there wasn't one misrotation during that stretch. And if they're going to guard like that, yeah, this this is the wildest thing to me. It's like they completely blew a top twenty team out of the water, right? It wasn't a game, and UConn did not play well offensively. They scored sixty two points at home in one of the best environments that you're going to see in Gamble all year long, and they shot thirty five percent from the floor. They shot twenty six percent from three, and that wasn't a game. Like from ten minutes on, you could tell who was going to end up winning that game. That's really really impressive for a team that had questions defensively coming in. Uh, is this kid Rob Dalton connect? Is he is he the missing piece for Tennessee? Just in terms of you know finally making that deep run and, and maybe solving the offensive lulls that have plagued them over the years. I was looking at it on Kim. They're twenty first in, in in offensive efficiency. It's their best ranking offensively since that eighteen nineteen team that was a two seed ended up losing to Purdue in the Sweet Sixteen. Just is this? Do they have the right ingredients this year to make a deep run? He he is so good. Like, he it's is. not even – I was talking with someone about this today. It's not like Tennessee has changed what they do offensively, really, right? It's not like they're out here exactly. uh, having Rick Barnes run these, like, really impressive offensive sets and scheming all this different stuff, and they're saying, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're reinventing the wheel. We have John Beeline's offense, and we're going to do this, that, and the third, right? Mm-hmm. They're still kind of running the same stuff. But for the most part, when things get bogged down, they just give the ball to Dalton Connect and say, get the hell out of the way. Let him cook. We got the better player. He's gonna, you can't guard him. You can't stop him. Let him go. Like, that's what they did down the stretch against uh, – uh, who did they beat on Saturday? I'm blanking. The, whoever they beat on Saturday. Florida. They did down the stretch. Yeah, they beat Florida. And they just gave him the ball down the stretch and just said, go. Um, that's what they did uh, last night or uh, on Tuesday night when he went for 39 points. Like It's just it's unbelievable what that kid's doing. They, they are literally running – the KD offense for him, where it's give him the ball, get out of the way, let him cook. They called what we used to call that in the AAU days was the do him offense, where the coaches didn't know what they were doing, just give the ball to their best players. Do him, do him, he can't guard you, do him. It's the he can't guard you offense, and it's working. And there's still two in the country defensively. Like I, I, yep. I don't love, I don't love the way that the roster is built. I don't love the makeup. I don't necessarily love the way that Tennessee wants to play. But it is very hard for me to sit here and watch Dalton Connect do what he does, knowing that Sakai Ziegler also just went through, like, the best game stretch of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Now yep. that he's healthy, and yep. they're still guarding at an elite level. Like, that is a really, really good team. And this, I, if this isn't the year that he gets over the hump, like, Rick Barnes might need to pack it in and just kind of call them a day and say, I'm never going to be able to get it done, man. That, they, are, they are really good. I, I agree. To watch. I, uh, uh, I usually – Every year without fail, usually hate Kentucky. Like, I just usually typically don't like the way their team's constructed. I don't like a couple of pieces. I don't usually think it fits together. And I am totally opposite that this year. This is the first Kentucky team I have actually really liked in a long, long time. And 
I don't know if it's because of, you know, a guy like Reed Shepard who's coming off the bench and, and is just ridiculous and timely. I don't know if it's because you have a guy like Antonio Reeves who can score from anywhere on the floor. I don't know if it's my, like, connection to to DJ Wagner because of his dad. I don't know, but I love this Kentucky team and, and what they can do. And I know that they're – is a little bit of uncertainty at the big spot. And that, that really obviously is the clear weakness. But, you know, you look around, you shop around. I see Kentucky in some spots, Rob, at 18 to 1 to win the title. I mean, how do you not hate, how do you not hit that? Uh, look, I, I love them too. I have some questions about what they are defensively. I think getting the Anianto kid back will help them and help solidify them against certain matchups. I think having Aaron Bradshaw there certainly does make an impact. But the biggest thing that stands out to me is that they have four different dudes in their backcourt that can win a game on their own, that can be absolute game changers. Like DJ Wagner, he's won games this season because of how good he is. He won the game at Florida making plays down the stretch, right? We know how good Antonio Reeves is. He had 27 last night at home against Mississippi State. Um, Reed Shepard has won games for him. There's times when he's looked like the best. Like he's looked like a first-team All-American. 100%. And, and then Robert Dillingham, like there is no player in college basketball that is more dangerous than Robert Dillingham because he could out of nowhere just reel off three straight threes in a minute, which is what he did at Texas A&M. That's where they took the game to overtime. So I just, when you put all of that together, that is a very, very dangerous team. Now I had this argument last night with, with, uh, with, with Doug Gottlieb on after dark. And I think that they are more likely to make a final four than they are to win the SEC title. Cause I just think that there's, I mean, freshmen on the road, got some questions defensively. There's going to be games where it just doesn't work, right? And that's just going to be the byproduct of having a little bit of a younger team and relying on um, being a really high-powered offense. Sometimes the shots aren't going to go down. That's what it is. That's life. That's basketball. But I don't see any of those guys getting intimidated by the moment, right? And I, I love the way that, that Gottlieb phrases this. He, he says that they don't have any ox gym guys. And what that means is they got, they got a bunch of freshmen, but every game DJ Wagner played from the time he was like 14 years old was a big deal, whether it was at Camden High, whether it was on the EYBL circuit. Same thing with Robert Dillingham, right? Like he played for CB3 in high school, and he played for one of the – I forget which prep school he went to, but he went to one of the big prep schools. It was always a big deal every single time that he played. Reed Shepard played in the state of Kentucky for a Kentucky legend and committed to the University of Kentucky from a school in the state of Kentucky. Every time he played – Every Kentucky fan in the state was paying attention to him, right? Like all of those guys have had the spotlight there. I th- and I'm, I mean this, I mean this respectfully, right? I don't think that they quite understand what they are doing in the moment that they are playing in. And sometimes there's like the benefit of being a little bit. Uh, what, what's the best way to phrase? It? Like not, un- not you, like you just you're not old enough to understand what you're doing shouldn't be done. Does that make sense? Like they're not mature yeah. enough to realize that what they're doing is ridiculous right now. So I'm, I'm kind of in on it. I don't think they're going to be phased by the bright light. I just see them getting better and better as the moment gets bigger. So I'm with you, John. I think they can get to Phoenix. You know, if you can get to Phoenix, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Uh, last thing, Rob, because I was, I was watching it late last night. I just wanted to see, you know, uh, Bronny uh, last night against Arizona. And Arizona clubbed them, and Caleb Love was great. Uh, ended up winning by 15. But just – uh, is it going to be worth it for Andy Enfield in the end, right? All of this. I mean, even LeBron, when in his postgame uh, presser, is watching the game, and he, you know, he's he's into it. He's coaching. And you got LeBron saying Bronny should start. All this stuff. Is it going to end up being worth it? Is the kid 
is the kid going to blossom into this lottery pick eventually? Like, what do you think of this, this whole situation? It's such a distraction, I figure, for a college basketball coach who's just trying to find some continuity. Yeah, and you know what sucks is, like, it's not Bronny. Bronny, like, by oh, all he's accounts, a good kid. Yes, he's great. He's, like, a great kid, a great team guy. Like, he's, he is the exactly. perfect complementary piece on any roster because he defends. He's got such a high basketball IQ. He makes shots. He knows how to guard. He knows how to move the ball. Um, it's just he's on a roster with a couple of shoot-first guards, you know, the number one player in the country that probably went there wanting attention, and a Boogie Ellis 50-year guy that wants to score and is trying to prove himself as a pro, and Kobe Johnson's got uh, NBA aspirations. So you got all these other guys that are looking for shine and looking for shots and looking for attention. Um, yep. And then everyone is paying attention to the dude that, like, didn't play until December and that, you know, when he has a game when they lose by 30 and he scores 15, all anyone talks about is Bronny scoring 15. Exactly. So I, I don't think I don't think it's on Bronny, like the the person. I just think it's on Bronny the situation. Like he is LeBron James' son. He is playing at USC. Like he is always going to have this level of attention on him. And sometimes just the 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 situation itself can be a distraction. So um, I, I don't know if. I mean, there's there's a lot of programs that if you kind of look at who needs shooting and who needs, um, you know, a little bit of, a, of consistency on the perimeter and who needs a good teammate, who needs someone that can just kind of have you buy into to what they want to do offensively on the perimeter. There's a lot of programs that could use a dude like that. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a shame that it's going to be wasted uh, on a USC season. That's like, it's not that they're not turning around. I mean, they're a complete disaster. The, the Pac-12 is going to end up being a one bid league. And if that means we get six teams from the mountain West and I'm all in, man. Rob, you're the best man. Appreciate the time as Thank always, you, brother. brother. Always a pleasure guys. And, and uh, Jason, I just want you to know that I'm one of the after dark group texts. John Martin said like four different texts while I was sitting here talking. So I'm just so glad that he was paying attention to what I had to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, I can multitask, man. Lock I, you have to. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, guys. Thanks, bro. I'll see you, yep. man. He That's is perfect. Rob Doster, uh, co-founder of Field of 68. Good stuff. Good uh, good, good jaunt around college basketball with him. We'll be back. Lots more to come around the show. Mark Giannato going to join us a little bit later. Stick around. Jason and John, ID Turn FM, ESPN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.